powerful and intriguing tips and tricks for speakers by speakers. Welcome to the Key 5 Podcast with your hosts, Robert Ferguson and Sarah Jo Crawford. Welcome to the Key 5 Podcast. I'm Robert. And I'm Sarah Jo. And today we're going to talk about developing content for upcoming presentations. And Sarah, I think this is a really fun topic to talk about for speakers. I think so too, because sometimes it can be hard to, you know, think up or find the best stuff to talk about on your speech. And not only that, but, you know, creating the marketing materials and making sure you're creating new and exciting content, it can be kind of difficult. So I'm glad we're talking about this. Me too. I I have found, Sarah, that many speakers that I talk to, they'll have a... um, what they call their keynote presentation, their keynote story. But then, what then? <laughs> and they have to find new content. So what do you think? What's uh, some ways that we can help our speakers in developing new content? Yeah, absolutely. Once again, I've seen this. This has been such a kind of a sticking point for a lot of speakers because they want to make sure that they can get invited back to certain events and you only get invited back if you have something new to share. So something I've been recommending to some of my clients and I've kind of even used it in some of my own marketing kind of tactics, but the quickest way to think about how can I change up my game without losing my core message is to look back through your last maybe week of emails. A lot of times maybe you had somebody reach out with a question or you explained something There's a good chance whatever you explain to your colleague or a client of yours could benefit a larger audience. There's there's a good chance you solved a problem that you could solve again in front of a bigger audience. And it's, you know, for a fact, it's going to be useful. That sounds like mining for gold. I love the sound (laughs) of that in your emails. Well, another area, uh, Sarah, that I think is in addition to emails is social media platforms. I think Mm. um, uh, one of the things you you look on Twitter, I was just recently looking into the comment section uh, that somebody had posted and highly engaged. What a great way to find gold where people Mm -hmm. were explaining, well, here's the challenge that they related with the tweet, but they didn't, you know, they were looking for sort of what else do you think? And I think there's some real gold in the social media platforms. I love that. And it's kind of the just looking for the pain points or where can they elaborate? And so on that note, actually, there's another thing that I've seen speakers do where they'll go back through their speech and maybe find even something as small as like a bullet point, or maybe they go back through their book and find a chapter or subheading. And then they try to dig as deep as they can on something they've already covered. And maybe when you're speaking, you notice that a lot of the audience pulls out their phone to take a snap of a specific slide. So like there's a slide that's obviously hitting on something, digging really deep on that thing. You could easily do a whole other speech or maybe a blog or an email. There's just, it's ripe with potential when you're like, all right, I'm going to dig deep on this. You'd be surprised what comes out. I love that idea, actually. (laughs) And um, the, that actually strikes a chord with me of, um, uh, a professor that I had heard by the name of Bernd Schmidt, who he uh, had years ago bought a website called BernDSchmidt.com. He talked about customer experience, but then he also bought the website BernDSchmidtSucks.com. <laughs> <laughs> and he wanted to hear what did people think that was against his whole philosophy around customer experience so that he could talk and get a, a view of the other side, which I think is a great way of expanding on your topic. I love that. Actually, I have a friend slash client of mine that during her speeches, she likes to do this. 
it's it's all about challenging your natural biases. And so she does this little exercise where she has somebody come up and um, she kind of does this fun little challenge. But the challenge always ends with them kind of looking like a fool. And it's fun because it definitely reveals their biases. However, she actually had a volunteer start crying from embarrassment. And so for her, that was this really great way to generate new content, which is, okay, so obviously I'm missing a piece of this with the confidence or maybe feeling like a fool. And so, yeah, like kind of looking back on that. And it kind of turns into this whole idea of reflecting on the last conversations you had. So whatever conversation she had, I think it was a young lady with her at the end, what did she tell them that she could probably make a whole new speech out of or at least elaborate on, right? So like she could expand her speech, um, hitting on a really obviously clear pain slash crying point to make sure that doesn't happen again. That's really good. In fact, I think many speakers uh, at the end of their presentation, whether they had their question and answers during or at the end, and there's different strategies around that, sometimes get surprised by a question that's answered, uh, asked, or in the case that you've just said, you might even have put a audience member in a difficult spot, but there's a real learning opportunity there and, mm-hmm. and learning from what did they ask that you went, hmm. I mean, <laughs> one of the, the techniques I know that really good speakers use when they get a question that they don't necessarily know how to answer right away is they'll turn to the audience go, that's a really good question. Does anyone here have, how would they respond to that? But it gives them a chance to think about it and then prepare for a future presentation. I like that. It, it definitely hits on, well, it, I think it's a, it's a good opportunity to display some humility and some authenticity because you're not a know-it-all. And instead of letting that be hurting your credibility, you can actually make people see like, ooh, I can contribute and I can be fun. I will say it's a little awkward whenever nobody responds. Yeah, they call the birds chirping, right? Oh, gosh, the worst nightmare. You, one of the things I like to do in those moments, though, Sarah, is, is uh, actually take the silence and then because you can leave a bit of a pause and wait. But if there is silence to go, well, there's some birds chirping. Clearly, that topic doesn't resonate. <laughs> Robert, you're clearly a dad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you know, How many you, children do you have? Because you are you are a great dad with your, your little dad jokes. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, just two. But that's enough. <laughs> Actually, being a grandpa is even better. But, uh, but you know, it's using those moments for fun. I, I think mm-hmm. it's... Um, some real opportunity. What can I do? Uh, in fact, I, I look at Robin Williams as probably one of the funniest guys that, that has ever taken the stage. And he would get content even up to the last minute. But he talked about how he would take content, throw it out there, and that maybe it wasn't complete birds chirping, but he didn't get the reaction he had hoped. Then mm-hmm. he knew, hmm, that didn't fly. So he was always trying new content on his audience. Now, not everyone has that gift that mm-hmm. they would want to do that live. But it is about when you're at, you ask a question, people don't answer, or they ask a question, and you're like, wow, that's an interesting one. Using those what I call magic moments to say mm-hmm. there's something here that I could dig into. Yeah, absolutely. There's actually a really great show I'm watching lately, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Have you heard of it? So she's a 1950s housewife who by a weird sequence of events, ends up becoming a stand-up comedian. They do this whole thing where it shows her taking her joke from inspiration and then reworking it over like four different 
um, presentations. And by the end, she's got a really great joke. But yeah, she listens to the laughter. She listens to kind of the feedback or maybe even the silence and kind of makes a joke about it not working. And then by the end, she's got a really great piece. So kind of just that listening standpoint. And I don't think any speakers are going to be surprised we're saying listen, but it definitely has to do with kind of feeling out the audience and kind of ad, not ad-libbing because not everybody can do that, obviously, but, you know, feeling the vibe of the room. Yeah. And then actually uh, work that I did with John Maxwell a number of years ago, uh, somebody had suggested that there's this uh, rise in emotion or a sense of, wow, that's something that you've, you could almost feel the beat of the room, but they said he gets it every six seconds. Holy cow. So you can imagine being able to capture in sort of the heartbeat of, of your audience every, even if you could do it 10 to 15 seconds, as opposed to, I think some speakers think, well, I'll have sort of a key point every few minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, that takes skill, that takes work, but it is about your content. And the, the content has to be engaging. The content has to be relevant to your audience. And the content, I think, has to be captivating. And that takes some work. Oh my gosh, that takes so much work. But more than anything, I feel like, I don't know, I I think it's really important that while it takes work, it's it's a lot of staying in the moment with not only your audience in the room, but as a marketer, naturally, I'm always thinking about promotion, making sure that you're staying engaged, you know, online and making sure you're just getting up every day and you're thinking, how can I provide the most value, even if I'm not on the stage? Absolutely. Well, one of the other areas that I think is um, uh, to define content is sort of trending topics. Mm. Uh, For me personally, I have a passion to talk about values. That's what I I love to talk about in values in business. But I'm actually keeping a keen eye on when there's um, articles and and the media is talking about uh, various countries. What are their values? What are the hot topics? For instance, I, I can sense over the last couple of years, in uh, North America and Europe, there's rising conversation about the rule of law, and that's a value that they're highlighting. And so I dig into those, and I could talk about that. Well, what does that mean in France and the impact? What does that mean in the UK and its impact? Mm. Or what's that mean in the US and its impact? And I can, because it's a hot topic, what are people's values? Even though one of my whole points is uh, people say values, but they actually have no idea what they're talking about. (laughs) And that's what I try to bring to light. But it is about trending topics, I think, is a key area that speakers could find um, new content. That's I, I really love that. Now, here's my question, because I really love staying on trend, but also creating timely articles and content and speeches. So how do you, my friend Robert feel about taking all all these like ideas we have and putting them in a content calendar because I've got opinions on this. <laughs> I love the idea because it, if you have 10 speeches coming up, which what are you going to do for the content for each of those? Absolutely setting out a content calendar to me makes a lot of sense. But have you found that it at all causes your speeches to kind of feel kind of dull because in a month, you know, the whole landscape could change. I was on a podcast two months ago when I made a comment about something in the political sphere. By the time the podcast came out, I seemed kind of ignorant. And I was like, oh, I shouldn't have, you know, planned for that. I should have been a little bit, have more foresight. So I guess what I'm saying is like the content calendars, I feel like are more of a hindrance than they are a help. Well, first of all, Sarah, my content's never dull. (laughs) (laughs) 
but you see, I think planning out the key elements and then you can sort of tweak last minute. But if you're, it's like preparing for an exam. I mean, if you only cram the night before, how good is it going to be? So I think content calendars make a lot of sense. I think they're a good starting point. Actually, I like to think about my content calendar more as my content reservoir. So I'm, I'm always making it and I've always got like my, my base, but I don't typically recommend. And definitely when it comes to promotion and creating content online, because that's where I like to live, but <laughs> taking that and just making sure you're, you got your basis, but you're giving yourself space to feel. And I guess I'm a little bit more touchy feely in this way, but you know, you get there to give your speech and you're, you're feeling out the conference and you're like, well, wow, this is a, a different vibe than I had expected. Or maybe, you know, I have this planned, but having the content there for you to revisit without feeling kind of scrunched into an actual calendar. Like, well, this is a speech I was going to give next week, but I'm going to go ahead and bump it up. Um, I just feel like maybe the calendar kind of makes people feel restricted or like they have to follow their own rules. Well, so I think you and I would agree that there's flexibility, but if you're well-planned, then you have room for flexibility. And I, that would be how I would look at it, setting out your content calendar, ensuring that you're developing your content regularly, but then allowing, if you're well-planned, you can allow for spontaneity. That's true. That's true. I'll give you that much. <laughs> There's a, a great speaker, uh, Andy Andrews, who has written a number of books. And if you ever hear him speak, he's one that uh, uh, speaking coaches would say, he actually breaks all the regular rules, but he knows the rules. He knows how to break them well. Mm. He's a great speaker. So I think that's the key is being well-planned, but then you can break your own rules with spontaneity. <laughs> how do you feel about that? <laughs> I, I, you know what? I'll give it to you. But I actually, I would like to hear what somebody else has to say about this. Great idea. Let's, uh, let's see if we can engage a guest and uh, get their thoughts. I'm into it. Let's see what happens. Perfect. Our guest today is Karen Weiberg, who coaches, writes, edits, and publishes books for experienced professionals. Karen, I would like to ask you really about the topic today is on content development. And as you work with individuals who want to write and publish nonfiction books, and they may struggle with getting what's in their head out of it onto paper. What are some tips you provide your clients to get that great content out of their head? Hey, Robert. Um, I, I, I think about a couple of things when I'm helping people both generate ideas and then get the words on the page. For getting ideas, I really think about brainstorming and turning off that internal editor and that internal critic. And just using whatever tool that you like, whether it's mind mapping or outlining or sticky notes or journaling, whatever gets you going writing stuff down and, and physically creating something. And I would note that physically creating something is usually easier than uh, necessarily typing on your keyboard. So to generate ideas, just make it physical and get something written down. But then, yeah, yeah. And then the, the other thing I tell people an awful lot, or suggest this to an awful lot of people, and especially for speakers, you got the idea. So you know what your topic is, but you're having trouble with blank page syndrome. You know, that screen is staring at you. So um, you, go, you got your topic from your brainstorming, though. So take that. 
just outline what are the high level points that you want to make. Then turn those points into questions and have somebody interview you so that they're asking you questions. You're not thinking about writing it. You're just thinking about speaking it. You're just answering their questions. You're just having a conversation that lets them ask for clarity if they don't understand what you say. And it also lets them go deeper in topics that they're finding really interesting. So you can, yeah. So That's a brilliant strategy. It. Brilliant. Just like, just like we're doing on a podcast, you're going to record it. You can transcribe it. And there are your words on the page right there. You'd be surprised how many words you will get. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Fabulous. Well, all right. So getting it out of their head is one thing. What about though, when uh, let's say uh, an author or speaker, they need to generate specific content about a a topic or area. They may be asked to, I don't know, uh, they're going to talk about innovation in the construction area. So now they got to research about construction. What, What do you recommend people do when they have to go and generate specific content? That's an interesting question. And I think I would suggest, number one, still doing your brainstorming up front. And your brainstorming is going to be a little more focused because it's going to be more around what are the questions your audience members are likely to have. You know, so what do they already know? What do they need to know? What do they want to know? I tend to usually start with online research to start gathering ideas of what potentially to include. But then I also think it's a great idea to talk to people who will be in that audience or who are knowledgeable on the topic that you're speaking or writing about. Then the other thing I would say is you're going to take in a lot of information. Say you just said around, you know, innovation and construction. You've done your research and you've got these ideas. Take a step back, let it settle for a little bit, and then try to do the content development in your own voice with your own ideas if that makes sense like how do you mesh together all those things you just researched and say something fresh about it in a fresh way so it's really you're being the filter through all this content i love the way you do that because Asking questions, but then letting it filter through you and what you know, your knowledge, your background. That's really cool. I like that. So do you have a specific approach when you're researching or writing fresh content? Yeah, I don't do much research. (laughs) That might sound kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do much research. I do my brainstorming and journaling. Um, That's a pretty common thing for me. What I tend to do personally, this this is me personally, I tend to run across things in my daily life that trigger me to want to write about something. And for me, it tends to be a client situation or a series of questions or, you know, something that's coming up in discussion that's relevant to my audience. So I guess that the the one thing I really try to do is be really observant to find those ideas and capture them when I do. Well, what you're really highlighting to me is instead of just spewing out content, you are trying to make sure you're answering questions you believe the audience has. And so you're really starting to focus on that. That That makes a lot of sense to me. Once I start writing, I I sort of alluded to this earlier. I try to write and get my own voice uh, on the page first. Like I try to get really confident in what I am trying to say 
And then if I need to go research something or double check, you know, I'm not talking about facts. I'm talking a little bit more subjective things. I want to know what I really think. Then I could go see what other people think. And maybe I need to adjust what I'm saying. But I want to make sure it's a little bit of Stephen King in his book on writing talks about write the first draft with the door closed. Like figure out what's going on in your own head. The second draft can be with the door open where you look and try to get feedback and things like that. But I try to really confident before I before I start checking other stuff. Yeah. I love the way you approach that. So, so why, do, why do you think that speakers and others, why do they struggle with coming up with content? Oh, uh, speakers are not alone. <laughs> you know, many of us struggle with content. <laughs> so uh, I think there's a couple of things. I think the very first thing is, is like super high expectations. Like when it comes to books, people think they need to write the book rather, rather than just a book. Or they need to give the speech. Instead of A speeds, you know, they want to get a home run. They want it to be perfect rather than getting, you know, a single, a single to first base. <laughs> you know, I just want to get on base. <laughs> so I really, that just puts way too much pressure on yourself to try to get it perfect and try to get a home run. So I'd like to tell people, just relax. I mean, just accept right from the beginning that it's not going to be perfect. <laughs> okay. That takes the pressure off. And once you get your first book or, you know, first speech done, something big and significant like that, that felt really overwhelming and you realize you can do it, you know, the next one gets that much easier. You know, what resonates with me, what you just said is it, as a speaker, your content, as you say, do a speech. It's going to be when you deliver it, you're going to see how it resonates or not, and you're going to yeah. tweak it for the next time. Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be perfect. You have to wait and see the, the feedback. Uh, Karen, what, what, have you heard of or seen any really crazy or creative ways that people do things to generate content? I don't know, stand on their head or <laughs> go for a boat ride? What, what's know, the crazy thing you've heard? This is an interesting question for me, and I had to think, I'm thinking about this one. And then the first thing that pops to mind for me, Robert, is... I recall a poet that I met one time who wrote a book of poems and each poem was based on a different gas station he visited. And I thought, huh, I think, I mean, my memory's a little hazy, but I seem to recall it was gas stations or diners, you know, something like that. And I'm like, gas station poetry, that seems odd, but... What it did, and this is what I really want to point out, it gave him a structure. It gave him parameters that he was working with. And, you know, think about 75 poems on gas stations. But, but that actually makes it easier to have constraints. So you can see what fits inside the constraints. And by doing that, you can release extra creativity and find that you actually transcend those constraints. So that's, that's, sometimes I make up rules for myself when I'm writing poetry or I write something else. I say, all right, here's my rules. And I just make them up just because it gives me structure. I love the way you're right. It's about having structure. You can be creative when you know what the box is. You can even mm -hmm. push yourself up against the box, but if you don't create the box, there's nothing yeah, to push up really against. It was really interesting. <laughs> I have another project going on with an artist and she's illustrating some poems and she called me the other week and she was like, oh my gosh, this is so easy because I know exactly what I have to do. I just have to match the art 
to the poem I'm trying to illustrate. And it just made her life so much easier than just trying to think infinite possibilities. Yeah, so structure can be really beneficial. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, here's a thought, though, a question for you. When you listen to a good speaker repeat stories you've heard before, what goes through your head? What goes through my head? I have a couple of conflicting thoughts <laughs> that immediately start running through my head. I, number one, really appreciate how hard it is to craft a really good story. And as a speaker, you know, you want to test your story with your audience and all the iterations it takes to figure out how to, to hone it and get the resonance you want or the laugh at the right place or whatever it is. If I start to hear the same story too many times from a speaker, I, I get a little bit bored. <laughs> and it makes me wonder if the speaker has thought about the audience, the audience analysis. Now, of course, as a speaker, you're going to use the same story over and over. But you do need to shake it up and change things up a little bit if you think you're getting overlap in your audience. And the other thing that runs through my mind is if I'm hearing a story from them that I've heard from somebody else. And I guess the comparison I would make is when I was doing my MBA program, you know, you take MBA classes and you're reading in all kinds of case studies. Now, I love Southwest Airlines. I fly them all the time. But if I'd never read another Southwest Airlines case study about their culture and their strategy, you know, I'd be happy because I got tired of this story <laughs> over and over. So I kind of feel that way with speakers. If they're telling a story that I've heard somewhere else, I wonder why. And if, they have, if I've heard the same story too many times, I get a little bored because, because maybe they're sounding bored with it if they've told it too many times. Well, that makes sense to me. So... It- if you, if as a speaker or a writer, you are creating content on a regular basis, how do you feel oh, about the I'm idea a of a big, content calendar? Big fan. Are you trying to <laughs> big fan of content calendars. <laughs> yeah, it makes things more efficient. First of all, if you can spend some time right up front planning out your content for whether it's a series of speeches, a series of blog posts, a series of articles you know, whatever it might be, spend your, your sort of planning and decision-making energy up front to figure that out. It's more efficient. Then you don't have to figure that out when you go sit down to write or develop your content. You could just focus on the development, not the what am I developing question. So there's an efficiency aspect in there, but then you can also get more strategic if you have a content calendar to think about who your audience is and what you're trying to help them achieve or what their questions are, their challenges. You might find that if your clients, your audience, if, if they have a series of questions on, a, on, a, on one topic, you find a series of short speeches or a series of articles that come out of that and that makes it more effective as well as more efficient. And one, one thing I would add in there is that um, you asked earlier why we struggle to come up with new content. We forget how much we know that other people don't know. We have this, you know, the curse of knowledge, if you're familiar with that phrase. You know, yeah, I keep thinking, well, I know all this stuff about writing and books and editing and stuff. And I forget that my clients 
don't always know all of those same things. So if I just think about what they're looking for, that helps me generate new content. So it, it makes it easier for me, makes it better for them. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. As, as we wrap up here, I'd just love to ask, is there one thing, if you could just give one thing to our listeners as a recommendation to improve their content, what would you suggest? Hire an editor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So besides that, yes. I'm going to give you, I seriously will give you a tip for like working on your own content. And this may be a little more writing related, but I think it applies for speaking too. If you're trying to improve your written content, read it out loud and you will hear what is clunky. And you know this as a speaker, you know, you're a speaker, you know what how it is when you say something, it sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. There's another little tip. If you're, if you're in Microsoft Word, on the review tab, there's this read aloud function. You can have micro, you can have your computer read your text to you and you can listen to it and find out what's clunky. Yeah. Oh my, I've never yeah. done that. That's a brilliant idea. Wow. Yeah, instead of Alexa, yeah, I can so have Microsoft you, do it. You'll hear if there's a missing word or a wrong, you know, a, a wrong verb tense or something. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Brilliant. Well, Karen, thank you so much for sharing today. This has been awesome. There is some solid insight for all professional speakers. Join us on our next Key 5 podcast where we'll be talking about presentation skills. To listen to all of our podcasts and learn more about our guests, go to key5podcast.com. That's K-E-Y and the number 5, podcast.com. So go to key5podcast.com today. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by your local studio. For more, go to key5podcast.com. Hey, if you're still listening, thanks for sticking around. I have one quick request. If you like the show, it would mean a whole lot if you left a review over in the iTunes store. This actually helps others find the show. So thanks in advance, and I'll talk to you next time.